All right, and this is the part of the program where we will sometimes do obituaries, and we promised last week that we would talk a little bit about Maury Turner. And I think what I'm going to do for that is read from one of the only blogs that we uh, regularly peruse for this program. That would be Mark Evanier's News From Me. Said Mark Evanier, January 26, 2014, cartoonist Maury Turner, creator of the strip We Pals, died on Saturday. He'd been hospitalized for kidney problems. As recently as last Thursday, he posted a message on his Facebook page saying, have been having some medical issues that require surgery and I'll be recuperating for a bit. He invited folks near Sacramento, where the hospital is located, to drop by and visit him while he underwent dialysis. Morris Maury Turner was born in 1923 and grew up to become the first nationally syndicated African-American cartoonist. The heavyweight parlay of Charles M. Schultz, whom he called his mentor, and comedian Dick Gregory urged him to create his own strip. So We Pals made its debut in 1965. It was a charming feature that rarely called attention to its multiracial cast, though some of the animators of it over the years were a little bit loud about that. In 2003, the National Cartoonist Society awarded him the Milt Kniff Lifetime Achievement Award. In 2012, he received the Bob Clampett Humanitarian Award at the Comic-Con International in San Diego. He was a friendly man, much liked in the cartooning community, and probably by everyone who ever met him. I sure liked him, and I also liked Wee Pals, too. Maury Turner was indeed a resident of West Sacramento, and uh, as a cartoonist of national stature, we thought it would be best to talk about cartooning with the only cartoonist Radio Parallax knows very well, which would be our old pal, Eric DeCetis. At this point, I'd like to say welcome back to Radio Parallax, Eric. Doug, it's good to be back here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Now, you're a cartoonist, and and and. Maury Turner was a cartoonist. I don't suppose that, even though you're local, necessarily cross paths. Uh, at, at one point, and you know how my memory is, um, there's a lot of art things that go on in town, and it, it was several years ago, and I had the pleasure of meeting meeting him. A very, uh, very gregarious man, very, um, uh, very humble, and um, I was a fan of his, and for some reason he knew my work, which surprised me, but um, uh, very iconic. You know, he was a tremendously... Um, um, iconic in the industry and um he broke some ground and it was in i think we had talked earlier i didn't realize it was back in 1965 so that took some courage he had he had damn near 50 year run mm-hmm. which is stressed out sparky uh, schultz did he have this about the same amount uh, that i don't know pretty much it, it, yeah it's interesting that I, I, didn't, I didn't realize this that he had been influenced by charles schultz yeah yeah they were like the the african-american versus the really white guy <laughs> well the wee pals and the and the, the kids from peanuts they, they're certainly i want to see him get together and just <laughs> not fight but maybe just <laughs> play stickball or something i know just get him the same panel he was a very peanuts like character very um how would you what would be the word for it um mainstream he'd never press the envelope yeah. Unlike myself. Yeah, I was going to say, unlike yourself, who <laughs> tends to be sort of the wild man of Well, of you know, I, 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 I'm not an outlaw, but I just, <laughs> you know, I just have to keep just, just barely touching the perimeter of the envelope. But it's only been 31 years for me, so. 
I got a ways to go. By the way, I, I do like to do this on a regular basis. We would refer our listeners to our archives where you came on many years ago and told a story. You were at Larry Flint's mansion, and at one point, the elevator opens and out steps Larry Flint flanked by Timothy Leary and Dennis Hopper. That's exactly right. Yeah, well, I, people, yeah. yeah, people need to go back and hear that story on our archives. Which, yeah, it was, it was, almost, it was like, a, there was like a fog machine <laughs> <laughs> that, that, was, that was around him as he came out in his gold-plated wheelchair from the gold-plated elevator doors with a wad of hundreds uh, in his lap. It was a gigantic poker party. Thing. And we and we do have to have you come back, I think, uh, in, in some point in the future and talk about the world of cartoons because there's quite a bit of difference, I guess, between cartooning and comic artists and all yes. that. How, how, yeah. do, how does that break down? It's basically uh, we're funny, and <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, ca- cartoon artists such as myself, we write jokes. Uh, we're single panel. Uh, we're quick hit seven seconds to get the gag or uh, you can be a multi-panel like you see um, Doonesbury exactly yeah whereas comic artists are more their artwork is brilliant um, the people that draw Batman or Spider-Man exactly yeah extremely brilliant art and they're able to recreate those images whereas I mean I did a comic strip for um, one of Larry Flint's books called Chic for years and I hated it Okay. I just hated it because I had to draw it. I had two characters that were bachelors, uh-huh. and I had to make sure they were drawn the same uh-huh. every issue. And I must have done it for like 12 years, and I just, it was just not for me. Okay. Uh, as a cartoon artist, the characters are different all the time. There's a joke. Uh, and the comic artists, not to say they can't have jokes, but their artwork is a little more, I would say, sophisticated. Okay. Now, both of you would be welcome at Comic-Con because they obviously gave, uh, they gave uh, Maury Turner an award down there a couple years back. You know, as we had talked about earlier, um, I've got some things going on where um, it's quite possible I'll be there in San Diego if I work something out with, uh, with Penthouse. They, they have uh, some area already plugged out and plugged away for us, so uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, that, that is for all, all genres of, of cartooning, so uh, we'll see what happens. I guess the bigger question is, can you get Radio Parallax in? Because I understand that gig is impossible to get it is, into. It is. It is. I had the Pope over the other night. It was either to get, easier to get him at the house. And you know what? That hat holds a taco like nobody's business. Uh, it's easier to get him there than to get a comic on. I, I think so. you got to have people. And, you know, I... I well, they tell me, I said, I, when I was down in San Diego, I happened to be down there when they were having the convention. And I thought, oh, how nice. But we can go over there and, and check it out. And oh, yeah. They, and people said, people looked at me, just shook their heads and said, son, you, you have to like put in a year in advance and it opens up for a matter of like three hours. Yeah, unless you're El Chapo, you're not getting in there. <laughs> well, anyway, Eric, it's pretty interesting to read this, uh, these, these obituaries about Maury Turner and note that this guy went back to like World War II. He apparently was writing for Stars and Stripes and I guess was affiliated with uh, the Tuskegee Airmen, the four, 477th Bombardment Group. I guess I guess this generation is, is now being lost. It's, it's pretty much, yeah. It's like my, my old man would have been, she's uh, 100 this year. And he was, he was uh, from that generation, the Depression area. And um, you're similar to myself in age and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much the end. We're in our fourth quarter. It's the end of the movie for people who... <laughs> Well, you and I were talking some time back about the New Yorker, which I know you're a fan of. And, oh yeah, and you were you were optimistic that there's a new generation coming up that may, pretty funny, maybe okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been following the magazine for years because a lot when I got in the business uh, with the adult magazines, a lot of the Tom Chaney, a lot of guys did. That's where we got our start because it was uh, magazines that bought a lot of cartoons and they paid you well, 
and then it was like a um, a platform to go where we wanted. Um, Tom Cheney uh, and I were with a lot of the magazines together. He's brilliant. And uh, he went the way of, he's still doing magazine cartoons, and I went more greeting card and print, and, and uh, he's with the New Yorker now. And he's old school, but some of the new ones are very funny. Well, Eric, as you're speaking, I was able to go to the web here and pull up Cheney's cartoons. I know who you're talking about. This is a funny dude. I'll tell you what, like I said, he's a heavy hitter, never misses. He's a great guy, good friend, a great guy. Never met him, but we're constantly in touch by email and okay. phone. And uh, I wrote the forward to the book, uh, the crack book, the first one. And uh, great, great guy, very bright. Very, very, uh, very uh, I guess the question is, is there any sort of equivalent to Comic Con where, where people that do your kind of cartooning all kind of hang out together? Does that ever happen? No, no. We why, have this why thing. not? I don't know. It's probably some sort of a conspiracy. <laughs> and you, Doug, know about the conspiracies. <laughs> yeah, uh, but they do have, we have this new thing in town called that Crocker Con. But, oh. Um, yeah, E.B. E. Burgoon, a brilliant uh, young kid who's, you know, uh, who put it together about six months ago, so I was at that at Crocker, and uh, they're going to do it again this September. Uh, so we will probably be there again. All right, it's, well, it's a combination of stuff, uh, cartoons right. and comics. We'll and, come September, come back and yeah. talk about that. That sounds like a fun one. It's, it actually is pretty cool, yeah. For All Sacramento, right. it's very cool. All right, and come back before September, too. We'll talk about some other stuff. we Will do. Eric, thanks again. My pleasure. Uh, but before you go, uh, tell us where people can find some of your work. Oh, most people hide it. Under, <laughs> <laughs> under a pillow, maybe in a brazier. Uh, MyName.com, my we're down to that. EricDecetus.com, you go there and there's links for... Uh, calendars, books, uh, got a couple, uh, two new books and two new calendars coming out. So, uh, uh, if you go there, it'll, it'll send you out. I dare see a lot of listeners who maybe aren't putting your name together, your cartoons. When they see it, they're going to go, Oh, I know this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's a blessing and a curse. (laughs) Funny as a crutch, Richie. (laughs) We'll talk to you soon, Eric. Uh, Doug, thanks very much. Appreciate you having me. All right. He walks in the classroom, cool and slow. Teacher Daddy O, Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, he's a clown, yeah, Charlie Brown, he's gonna get... I also want to do a little bit of a follow-up here on talking about the passing of Sid Caesar a few weeks back. Mark Ebenier, who we mentioned a minute ago, had a, an interesting little essay about Sid Caesar on his website. News from me. One excerpt about a minute of that. Ebenier... Worked uh, with Sid Caesar briefly back in the 1980s and got to know him somewhat. Said he was a strange man, distant and distrusting, and it didn't take long to realize a big reason why that was. Everywhere we went, to lunch, to meetings, just walking together through the studio lot, he was approached by people who said the same thing. You're the greatest comedian who ever lived. Compliment after compliment, praise upon praise. Sid would wince a bit and squeeze his eyebrows. He often squeezed his eyebrows when he was uncomfortable and prepare himself because he knew the painful question was coming. It usually went something like this. Why don't you have your own TV show? You're so much funnier than blank name of current comedy star. Sid didn't have an answer for that. He was polite to people who touched that raw nerve. He'd mumble something about idiot network executives, which is a kind of an all-purpose excuse, often a valid one, for the odd things that transpire on television. But the truth was, he didn't know. He'd once been the king of TV comedy, dubbed the chaplain of television by none less than Steve Allen, who knew a little something about funny people. Too often, though, he found himself unemployed or appearing in shows and movies that were, well, not worthy of him. Not many shows or movies were. And in the minutes we have left, I want to talk more about the great Harold Ramis. 
I think Harold Ramis is widely underrated because he oftentimes let his more flamboyant uh, co-stars seize the spotlight. Apparently back in 1972, while he was working at the Second City, Chicago's legendary improvisational comedy troupe, he said, the moment I knew I wouldn't be any huge comedy star was when I got on stage with John Belushi for the first time. I stopped being the zany. I let John be the zany. I learned that my thing was lobbing in the great lines here and there, which would score big and keep me there on stage. And it so happens we have a clip of an interaction between Harold Ramis and the legendary John Belushi, which comes from my single favorite piece of his work, the National Lampoon Radio Hours, Perry Schreiner, court-appointed lawyer. In this case, John Belushi, playing the criminal, is now meeting with his lawyer, Perry Schreiner played by Harold Ramis. Hey, Sanchez, you got a visitor. It's your lawyer. I ain't got no lawyer. Oh, you do now, Sanchez. I'm Perry Schreiner, and I've been appointed by the court to represent you. Yeah, man, I like the way you tuck those pants into those dingoes. Thanks. Right now, Sanchez, I want you to tell me everything that happened. Now, I need every detail, whether you think it's important or not. You see, I can't help you unless you're completely honest with me. Okay, man. Well, you see... I was on my way to set up a free clinic for the kids in the ghetto. And it was about noon, you know? Uh-huh. I'm, I'm walking down the street and I see this chick. She's taking money from all the parking meters, you know? Hmm. And, and the other people on the street, they're walking by not doing nothing. They don't want to get involved. But I figure it's my duty as a citizen, so I decide to make a citizen's arrest. So then you confronted her? Well, not exactly, man. I come up behind her and hit her on the head with a garbage can cover. She drops like a sack of potatoes. Then I don't know, man, I guess it turned her on or something, because cause then she pulled me on top of her and stuck her tongue in my ear and tried to make me do it to her. It's only later I find out she's a cop, because while we're doing it, she plants two bags of heroin in my pocket. So you noticed this woman breaking into and looting parking meters. You attempted to make a citizen's arrest, at which time she forced you to have sexual relations with her, and at the same time she placed illegal contraband on your person. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, yeah, and that's the truth, man. You know, Sanchez, somehow, I believe you. Oh, then you'll take my case? You bet I will, Sanchez. This is obviously a trumped-up charge, and we're not going to let them get away with it. Hey, man, look, why don't I plead guilty to a misdemeanor and get... Oh, no, Sanchez, no, look, I'm handling this case. Guard, now look, if you plead guilty to any crime, you'll never be able to get a civil service job. No, Sanchez, we're going to take this to the Supreme Court if we have to. No longer will the downtrodden innocence of American minorities fall victim to an unjust penal system. I don't know if that's such a good idea, man. Call the next case. Julio Sanchez. Right here, Your Honor. Counsel for the defense. Counsel for the defense. It should be here. Who's defending this man? Here, Your Honor, uh, Perry Schreiner. Sorry, I'm late, Your Honor. Uh, I overslept. I think it was the problem with my alarm clock. I brought the clock in to show you, Your Honor. I had everything set properly. The button was put... Uh, turn uh, turn that thing to, off, Schreiner. Seems to be working now, Your Honor. Uh, it's possible I didn't hear it. I wouldn't want to uh, swear. Shut up. You're wasting the court's time. Yeah, well, maybe the court's wasting my time. What did you say? Uh, nothing, Your Honor, nothing. Hey, man, it sounds like that judge hits your guts. Don't worry, Sanchez. I know this judge. He's stern but fair. Clark will read the indictment. Julio Sanchez, you are charged with armed robbery, assault with a deadly weapon, assault with the intent to inflict grievous bodily harm, assaulting an officer of the law, possession of narcotics and dangerous drugs, possession of burglary tools, 
Possession of a toy gun and forcible rape. How does the spawn of the gutter plead? What did he say? Forget it, Sanchez. It'll help us when we move for a mistrial. I said, how does the greaseball plead? Not guilty, Your Honor. Then the distinguished district attorney will present opening arguments for the prosecution. Your Honor... Now, let's not stand on ceremony. Just call me Bob, Jim. Thanks, Bob. I think you'll recall that when we discussed this case at dinner last night... Oh, uh, yes. Oh, by the way, thank your lovely wife for me. And thank your lovely wife, Louise, for that wonderful cheese assortment. Objection, Bob. Bob! Look, you'll address me in the proper way, Shriner, or I'll cite you for contempt so fast it won't even be funny. Objection overruled. Now, go on, Jim. As I was saying before we were so rudely interrupted by you-know-who, this case is really quite simple, Bob. I have 50 witnesses who will swear they saw the defendant attack and then rape a defenseless meter maid, Miss Rita Tushy, and then try to bribe the arresting officers with two pounds of heroin. I also have a sworn deposition from a Supreme Court justice who happened to be passing by at the time and witnessed the entire brutal sexual attack. I think you'll agree that this case demands prosecution to the fullest extent and the most severe punishment allowed by law. Now, with your permission, I'd like to call my first witness, Mr. Frank Baumgartner. Frank Baumgartner! And so, Bob, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution rests. Order. Order. Now, Mr. Schreiner, let's hear the arguments for the defense. Thank you, Your Honor. Please recall the alleged rape victim, Miss Rita Tushy. Miss Rita Tushy! Miss Tushy, remember that you're still under oath. Now, Rita, or should I call you Fast Rita? I object. The witness's nickname is totally irrelevant. Uh, Your Honor, may I remind my learned colleague that relevance is in the eye of the beholder. Yes, but the counselor for the defense, of course, knows that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Uh, I know that, of course, but the road of truth has many twists and turns. That depends on who's driving, Mr. Schreiner. So far, your whole case looks like one long detour. Yeah, well, sometimes detours are necessary, Your Honor, in order to see our highway taxes at work. Does he really have to drag us all along with him? Because it looks like Mr. Schreiner's road is still under construction. Oh, yeah? Well, no man is an island, Mr. Prosecutor. Yeah, well, no man's a pizza either. <laughs> Your Honor, may I continue with this witness? Now, wait a second. <laughs> I want to hear that last one again. Clerk, read the district attorney's last statement. He said, yeah, well, no man's a pizza either. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Schreiner. Proceed. All right, Miss Tushy. Now, why do they call you Fast Rita? Well, uh, you see, as a child, I was stricken with polio. The doctor said I would never walk again, but then I went into this physical rehabilitation program, and I, I made such good progress, the doctors nicknamed me Fast Rita. Oh, nothing sexual at you sure it has nothing at all to do with sex, Miss Tushy? Do I have to answer that, Your Honor? Yes, dear, I'm afraid you do. Well, you see, as soon as I learned to walk, I felt that the only way to thank God was to enter a convent. I lived in the convent till only about six months ago. 
I've never even been alone with a man. Never been alone with a man, Miss Tushy? Are you quite sure? Make your point, Counselor. My point, Your Honor, is that this woman may have been a cripple and a nun, but she's still a woman and she loves it. Oh. Come on, you love it, don't you? You no. all love it. Ob- objection. Try to drop this line of questioning immediately. Well, maybe I can rephrase it, Your Honor. You're not rephrasing anything. Now drop this line of questioning and get your hands off the witness, or I'll have you put in restraints. Harold Ramis was much more than a performer. As noted a few weeks back, and as promptly noted in his obituaries, he co-wrote Animal House, also Meatballs. He acted alongside Bill Murray in Stripes and directed Caddyshack. Not to mention later works like Analyze This and Bedazzled. This correspondent is irked mightily that they've taken so much time getting around to Ghostbusters 3 that, alas, Harold Ramis will not be a part of it. Of course, in talking about all this, it reminds me of the fact that I never did see Groundhog Day, directed and co-written by Harold Ramis. Mr. Marillon, let's have movie night one of these nights. I've already seen Groundhog Day. However, I will watch it again. That is sort of the theme of Groundhog Day, and you'll know what I'm talking about after you watch the movie. I see. By the way, how is it possible you did not think Bedazzled was a great movie? Well, I may have been drunk. Okay, that's a good excuse. You know, I think we're quite done with Harold Ramis. I know that when Sean Mitten returns to talk to us about sports, he's a big movie fan and may have a thing or two to say about the late, great Harold Ramis. But unfortunately, we are now out of time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan, who still appears sober. Our thanks to UC Davis Professor of Political Science, Dr. John Scott, and our good pal, cartoonist, Eric DeCetis. You have been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm your host, Douglas Everett, and I'll be glad to see you again next week at the same time.